Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses or your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen. Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, Prom Party. Yay. Welcome to the episode. From hell. Do you, do you want me to put effects on your voice for that? Actually, yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, cool. No, no one's going to know what it actually sounded like, so I'm going to leave this in. <laughs> They're just going to only know what it sounds like after the production. It's going to be great. Oh, God, today, though. Um, <laughs> Yeah, today's, today's rough pumpkins. <laughs> so aside from the fact that there is just excessive amounts of, of leaf blowing and weed whacking in our neighborhood that is just coming and going constantly. So sometimes it's right under the window and then disappears and comes back and it's been going on all day. <laughs> also, our SD card screwed up. So we, uh, we, we were joined by a guest. And we have to use our backup recording for it. So you're going to notice a, a considerable dip in quality. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun when I looked at the Zoom recording when we went to stop it. And it was like, SD card is full. And I was like, that's horseshit. There's nothing on it. And then I looked at it on the computer. And it also said there was nothing on it. But for whatever reason, recorded, you know, like seven minutes of the interview so in the interest of us not just being like hey suddenly this sounds like we're in you know a a zoom call because that's how we recorded it um we're just gonna have the whole interview be that way so you have a nice clean break so it's fine i mean we were treating this kind of like the episode we did with roxy where we interviewed our guest Mm -hmm. mr dave lawson jr and I'm glad that we do have this little bit of an intro part to handle our, our, our busy work in the front because then we get to explain all of this. Yeah, so if you're suddenly like, this doesn't sound like the this ends at prom that I'm used to, uh, we told you and we're sorry and we love you. We did what we can. Yep. <laughs> but luckily it is a movie that I love so fucking much and... Um, the joy will bring you through this. The joy will bring me through this. Um, but we we recorded the the interview first, and now we're doing our intro, so that's why you get this lovely little little warning that's going on. Uh-huh. Um, and all I will say is there is a hell of a bomb dropped during that interview by uh, someone who may or may not be sitting next to me on this couch right now. I, I I'm, I'm a bamboozler. Yeah. I'm, I'm a stinker. It's great. <laughs> I love it. So you will get the gift of hearing me react with just like my soul leaving my body in real time. Um, so definitely listen. I think you'll enjoy it. But today we are talking about one of my favorite movies of all time, uh-huh. 1991's Don't Tell Mom, The Babysitter's Dead. Yes. 
This is a movie that was highly requested, and I know so many people are going to be just jazzed as shit that we are covering this movie, and don't get me wrong, I was also jazzed as shit. Um, I'm going to leave the usual discussion about like Harmony's first view of this and whatnot, um, because we did that in the interview with Dave, so um, you'll have to wait for that, but... This episode is also part of our seasonal teen movie hell tradition where we look at the book Teen Movie Hell by Mike McBeard of McPadden and we read a passage from his book as a way to keep the memory alive of the undisputed champion of teen cinema. I I hope that he finds it appropriate that our teen movie hell episode is the episode from hell. The irony would not be lost on him and he would love it. (laughs) So I love that he classified this as a babysitter movie, kids takeover movie, and an undercover teen movie, which it is. Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead reveals the movie's basic premise in the title. When their mother splits for a couple of months, but the nagging hag she left in charge keels over... Christina Applegate and her four younger siblings are left with an entire summer to themselves. 90s kids took fantasy fulfillment Don't Tell Mom immediately. Unlike other preteen comedies of the era, though, this one continues to find new audiences year after year, due in huge part to teenage star Applegate's comic chops and the brash farce involved in keeping mom in the dark. Keith Coogan, who previously played one of the babysat kids in Adventures in Babysitting, plays yet another babysat kid here. This movie's better because at least somebody dies. Keith is also the grandson of Hollywood legend Jackie Coogan, a silent-era child star whose parents squandered his fortune, resulting in a law named after him that protects the earnings of kid actors. (laughs) Jackie Coogan also heroically grew up to play Uncle Fester on TV's The Addams Family. Though now middle-aged, hopefully Keith will someday top that high-water mark in the family business. Much I, much better than a Fandango synopsis. Absolutely, because Mike Mike knows exactly what I want. Undercover teen, uh, kids taking control, and deep-seated Hollywood uh, drama history that, you know, has, has laws changed because of it. I think that that's great. <laughs> and also the comparison of, you know, playing a similar character, but this movie being better because someone actually dies. But yeah, we will actually cover Adventures in Babysitting at some point. But mm-hmm. I, I love this movie so much. Um, but Harmony, what was going on culturally in 1991? Let's paint this picture so we know what the landscape was where this movie kind of inserted itself. Well, first of all, Christina Applegate, obviously an icon, a legend. We love her very much in this household. And the thing that made her a household name to most people was Married with Children. In 1991, when this came out, Married with Children did its fifth and sixth season that year which pulled the highest viewership points for the whole series, according to Nielsen ratings. Oh, that's incredible. Yes. So she was riding very high for her to be making like her feature debut mm-hmm. the same year. And I think that that is just, that, that that's tops. Yeah, I think that that's great. The reason this movie did get to be made was because of her casting, because she was such a rising star. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the idea that, She's taking this, what is essentially a cult hit movie now, but, you know, signed on to this job and they were basically able to fund an entire movie off of just one person being awesome. Yeah. And my understanding of why this movie became such a successful cult hit is because it aired on TV all the time. It played on HBO 
constantly. Which would make sense because she was a TV star. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like bring the movie to like her realm where most of the people watch her. That makes total sense. Oh yeah, this movie was really big with home video rentals, um, likely because you're at a blockbuster or you're at wherever and you're going through the aisles of movies and you see the girl from Married with Children on the cover, you're going to ask your mom to rent it for you. Yeah, Kelly Bundy is the best. (laughs) Like she's an icon. Style icon in both of these things, but more so married with children because, yeah. There, there's just more time to there's, be there's a style icon There's more options there. to work with stuff, and she's not forced into wearing, like, corporate shoulder pads. Hey, you know what, though? I definitely own a shirt with shoulder pads that I wore, like, three <laughs> days ago. I know. <laughs> so let's look at some of the other teen movies that were coming out around this time. And I have to say, it's a bit of a drought, The 90s has a lot of teen movies that are very, very iconic from that decade, but it is a grower, not a shower of a decade. Mm -hmm. Because if you were to Google like teen movies, 91, you get three big ones and that's about it. There's not a lot. So I had to dig a little bit deeper and I kind of broke them down into like three categories of teen-ish movies that were coming out at the time. Okay. Our first in that applies for how this movie functions is like a family type film, like familial units. And it's a mixed bag. So you have The Addams Family. Brilliant. Obviously very, very successful that year. Cape Fear. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, it is. It yeah, yeah. Girl. You're not wrong. Suburban Commando with Hulk Hogan. Hell yeah. And also Christopher Lloyd and also Shelley Duvall. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite of the Hulk Hogan movies. And Man in the Moon, which is Reese Witherspoon's debut. Oh, it yeah, is a, that's it, a sweet one. It's a period piece that I know nothing about from the 50s. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. sweet. Yeah. Apparently, it's got very good reviews. Our second category that I would describe as radical teen movies. Hell yeah, that's my bread and butter right there. So you have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Two tent mean age needle teetles. And speaking of... Someone from TMNT2. You also had Cool as Ice. Oh, Cool as Ice. And the actual successful one from this subcategory, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which actually was not successful at the time, but mm-hmm. I think people are a little more fond of it these days. I think so too. Especially as a part of like the extended Bill and Ted trilogy. Yes. And our final subcategory in the wishy washy teen genre section of 1991 is. um. Kids whose parents aren't there. (laughs) The fuck them parents genre. Kind of. Uh, This was also the year that followed Home Alone. And so I think maybe that had something to do with at least one of these entries going into existence. But yeah, it's a... It was just a thing in the 90s. And we talk about it a little bit more extensively in the interview with Dave. But these movies include Hook, specifically because of like the Lost Boys, Boys in the Hood, Mm-hmm. Return to the Blue Lagoon, featuring a young Mila Jovovich, The People Under the Stairs, and Problem Child 2. Well, the dad is around in Problem Child 2, but that movie is definitely more about the kid ruling the roost, for sure. Exactly, which is why it kind of ends up in this category of all of them. But yeah. there's there's some very different reasons why kids are left to their own devices in, across this, this category. Yeah, no shit. Yeah! <laughs> And it's it's a really weird mix of movies you're getting as we're transitioning out of the 80s into the 90s. That's, yeah, no, that's a really, really interesting point. I think that, you know, something that we touch on a little bit in, in the interview is the cultural shift that was happening with familial units. 
um, at the end of the 80s into the 90s is is pretty stark. And we're starting to get a little bit more um, aggressive once we're moving into the 90s. Like the 80s was an era of excess. Mm-hmm. You know, finances were kind of at the top. That's why you could have movies like Wall Street be successful because people had enough money to understand Wall Street. Um, and People then, weren't immediately rooting against the rich men. Yes. <laughs> Whereas once you start getting into the 90s, we're about to, you know, walk into a very massive era of political unrest. And that's, you know, building the foundations to where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, and our movies are reflecting that. And I think that that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And this is also, we're, we're not fully into the 90s just yet. Again, it's a grower of a shower of a decade. Like, we like to talk about decades as though, like, the moment that midnight strikes on whatever the year is that ends in a nine and goes over to zero, it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's a totally different time. And it's not. There's usually, you can very clearly define decades by themselves, but there's at least, like, a year or two discrepancy in either direction mm-hmm. that as we, like, enter and leave them. So, yeah, it's a, it's a strange cultural time for, for movies like this. And Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead doesn't really fit any of the other movies that were out, mm-hmm. but also has a lot of little things in comparison with them. Agreed. And it's just, it has a tone to it that I don't see explored very often, where the humor is definitely, a, it's a dark comedy for mm-hmm. sure, but it's not as cynical as like Heather's. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it feels a little bit more grounded in its cynicism, which I appreciate because it just feels very relatable to me. But we'll obviously expound upon that. So, friends, thank you for listening to our little intro here. And thank you for being courteous with our quality for this yes, episode. Yes, we appreciate your, your patience and understanding with the fact that technology sometimes is like, <laughs> fuck you. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the, this episode is part of our Teen Movie Hell series. If you have not yet, get yourself a copy of Teen Movie Hell in honor of the writer Mike McBeardo McPadden. You can get it at Bazillion Points Books. It's 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 the Bible for this, for this show. It's fantastic mm-hmm. and very, very fun. And uh, as always, we hope that we do you proud, Mike. Thank you for all of your work. We miss you. We love you. You're great. And um, we hope that you enjoy our interview with David Lawson Jr. It's so much fun. All right, friends. And now we are joined by the producer and founder of Rustic Films. You may know him from things like Synchronic, The Endless, Resolution, Spring, She Dies Tomorrow, just a bunch of stuff that I geek out about a whole lot. David Lawson Jr. is here with us, friends. Hi, Dave. Thank you. How are you ladies doing today? Hot and tired. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's, I mean, you know, that, that's, that's a July 5th for you, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there's also a guy that's like occasionally coming by with a leaf blower, and we don't know who he is or why he's leaf blowing the neighborhood, but this that's is just, just a Monday at. thing. Yeah. Honestly, and, and this is the fun thing about Los Angeles, because uh, you all just moved and like, I, I'm not entirely sure anybody's ever hired them. I think they just like <laughs> pop up into people's neighborhoods and are mainly on some fun drugs. And they're just like, <laughs> and they're just leaf blowing for fun. Uh, at least that's at least that's what I've built in my head. For the love of the sport. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, they, they, there's something about leaves that they just also there's no leaves that fall in Los Angeles. <laughs> they're just blowing dirt around and trash. <laughs> 
Perfect. I mean, it, our neighborhood does look lovely, so they're doing something. I can't really be mad about it. Honestly, they're doing a great job. Proud of all of them. <laughs> so, Dave, I am very excited that this is the movie you wanted to talk about because it is an all-time favorite of mine. But I am curious, uh, what is it about Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead that you're like, that's the one I got to talk about? You, you know, it's funny when you when you mentioned your podcast, this was literally the only and the first and only uh, film that came up in my head on, on things that I could come on about. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those movies that, uh, man, I was what 10 at the time. Uh, maybe I guess by the time this came out in VHS, I was maybe 11 and 12. And I was babysitting my sister in the summer while my mom worked because uh, I'm nine years older than my sister. So uh, we, my, my sister loved this movie, or I could, let me rephrase that. I could put this movie on and my sister would not bother me for, <laughs> for two hours. Also, can we talk about why this film is two hours long? There's, no, there's literally no reason for this movie to be two hours long. I'm for it because it made it so I had to watch the movie less times per day. But I think that other than maybe Die Hard, this might be the film I've seen more in my life because of, a couple summers where I watched it uh, literally like four times a day with my <laughs> sister. That's incredible. This is a movie that we, we have a list of like our sick day movies. And they're just the movies that you watch when you were home from school because you could kind of put them on. You didn't really have to pay attention, but you knew they made you feel good. And yeah. this was definitely one of them for me by my, my VHS version of this, which was uh, illegally recorded off the TV by my grandmother, who had like, <laughs> no exaggeration, like 600 VHS tapes that were just nothing but movies that she had recorded off of HBO. Um, I wore this one. Like, you only knew that this is the Don't Tell on the Babysitter's Dead tape because all of the ink on the label had been destroyed from me pushing it into the VCR <laughs> so many times. I love that. <laughs> Sure she's gonna fit? How the hell should I know? I've never done this before. Well, neither have I. I think we should measure her first. Attack off her head. Yeah. Uh, all right, go get that uh, metal tape measure thing out of the garage. Would you stop ordering us around? You're not the babysitter. That's right, Kenny. The babysitter is dead. Now just do it. Well, let's let's kind of dive into this one. Uh we, we start our episodes by talking about our main characters and analyzing who they are and what we like about them. So, uh, Dave, let's talk about Sue Ellen Crandall. How do you feel about her as a character? Uh, are you talking about Swell? Swell, um, yes. I, I, okay, so I love, I, I love her so much. And I realized, uh, you know, I, I tend to watch a film a couple times when I'm going to come on to a podcast uh, just to talk specifically about one film. Um, and I realized... <laughs> This movie is almost famous for teenage girls. Um, in, yeah. in, in, in a way that I never realized as a child or even growing up or even until I started rewatching this. She's phenomenal in this film. Uh, I obviously grew up watching um, Married with Children. Um, so I know Christine Applegate from that. Probably one of my early teenage crushes. I mean, I feel like she's I'm, I'm turning 40 in three days. Uh, so I think she's everybody in my age brackets, first teenage crush. Um, if it's not Allie Larder, uh, <laughs> and, and so like, I, I think that it's a, it's a, 
she's a phenomenal character in this and and her growth in this is wonderful but i think we're i think there, there's a lot of characters in this uh kenny or kenneth it depends on 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 how you <laughs> on what part of the movie is also is also just a phenomenal character um and and so is and so is Rose. I fucking love. As I'm getting older, I uh, I relate more and more to Rose than I ever thought I would. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I I so yeah, I love. I, honestly, there's not a character except for the mother. I don't understand why she left her house in such disarray for two months. Um, I can't understand that. But other than that, I love every character in this film. I'm right there with you, Harmony. How do you feel about Sewell? It, I mean, it's Christina Applegate, who doesn't love Christina Applegate in everything she's in, including the not very good vacation remake you made me watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, because she's wonderful in it. She's doing the best she can in it. <laughs> Look, but, okay. you can't win every battle, Harmony. You no, can't. of course not. <laughs> like, no, no one bats a thousand. I understand that. I respect that. But Christina Applegate is consistently, like, the best thing about basically everything she's in. Okay. And... Yeah, no, she's she's really 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 good in this. Though uh, I guess this is as good a time as any to to drop this bomb on on BJ. Um, did you know that I've never seen this movie before? What? My heart just like fell out of my butt. I think there's gonna be yeah. a force. <laughs> did, did you never know that? Was I the first person who showed you this movie? Uh, like last night, yeah. <gasps> I thought what? I had shown this to you earlier. No. And oh my God. As, I have failed as a wife. As soon as I realized that you had never shown this to me. And like, it was one of those things where you kind of have to keep up the lie. Like this movie where you just like, Oh my God, it's one of my favorite movies. I love it so much. And we crossed like the threshold where it was okay for me to admit that I hadn't seen it yet. And as soon as we got close to recording this episode, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going to spring this on you mid recording. <laughs> it's going to be really funny. I've put this on at the bar before. Oh, but it doesn't have sound. Okay. That and I'm also so usually working. <gasps> I'm so happy that I'm here <gasps> for the, for the apocalypse <laughs> of this marriage right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that was, I just felt like dropping that. <laughs> That's incredible. I will I, say. I, I, <laughs> I, I I'm I'm like insane. I want to know whether or not this movie holds up for anybody that hasn't seen it. Um, cause so this is great. I feel like I feel like this is even better. Well, that's a big part of the show is Harmony hasn't seen a lot of these movies, but there's a handful of them that I've like Josie and the Pussycats, for example, where like I have shown it to her because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. I'm so surprised I've never made you watch this. I've never put it on with you because I was under the impression I had shown it to you, and you're gonna be like, this is the fiftieth time of you've made me watch this. Yeah, no. Here Apparently not. Holy shit. So here's the thing, though, Dave. Like, you're like, how does this movie hold up? And I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Because I can see BJ tensing out of the corner of my eye on the couch next to you right now. Here's the thing. Okay, so I don't dislike this movie, but with the massive amount of, like, hype from BJ or some of our friends who say, like, this is my favorite movie all time, period. I'm like, okay, so I'm expecting something really great. And I'm like, it's fine. It's okay. So you're, wow. you're gonna have it, to you're gonna it, have to like walk me through this a little bit because I'm like I like the characters I think the scenario's fine it's not like super duper funny it's not super duper fun there's nothing wrong with it aside from like a random transphobic joke at the end for some reason um, but like I don't but, by the way I literally I I literally wrote that down in my list of like what in the actual fuck but also not something that I <laughs> I pinged as a child but this this was yeah. Yeah. yeah, this this was also the year that Soap Dish came out. So this was just the year where they dropped that on the end of movies just to make them weird, I guess. But yeah, 
So, so, so you're gonna have to like walk me through why you love this so much oh, because this is, this I like such it, a fun, podcast. but I didn't love it. <laughs> All right, so I since y'all have said your piece on Suelle, and I will talk about why I love her so much. Yes, so Suelle and Crandall to me is the cool girl that is attainably cool to become when mm-hmm. you're in high school because mm-hmm. a lot of times teen movies present cool girls and they are just so beyond anything that I could ever imagine becoming. Whereas in this one, like you look at her house and like her house is like kind of falling apart and she has like shitty siblings who don't help. And she has a mom who's clearly overworked, but also not really giving a vested interest into her kids. These are definite latchkey kids, which Mm -hmm. I relate to. Um, But then she's also somebody who has found a way to just make things work in her life. Like she wants to be a fashion designer and all of the clothing that she has, you like a lot of them are from like thrift stores or like, like specialty boutiques. Like it's not fast fashion. She's not, you know, wearing what everyone else is wearing. And I thought that was so effortlessly cool. But the thing that really got to me is that she does not let anyone tell her what to do. Uh And to be that self-assured at 17 was like, oh, that's the coolest thing in the world. And I really wanted to be like her. But I also really admire the fact that she recognizes that her family's kind of a nightmare and a mess, but she loves them regardless and wants to take care of them. Uh And that really speaks to me because my family growing up was kind of a mess. And yet we loved each other and took care of each other. And I think that's a really admirable trait, especially in a genre where teen girls are constantly painted as like shallow and vapid and Uh really self-centered. Um, and yeah, she's got her self-centered moments for sure. She's a 17 year old, (laughs) but ultimately her, her arc is like taking care of herself, being responsible, you know, making sure that everyone is, is taken care of, even if that means sacrificing the ability to watch Oprah every day and go to the beach. So how much of this relates to your life experience of not getting a summer vacation? And like, there's that moment where she's driving to work and all these people are wearing like swimsuits and they have the towns like we're going to the beach yeah and she just gives them this glare out of her car window going like oh yeah fuck you, you so, so 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 let me jump in like i mean i bj i'm a hundred percent with you obviously i i'm i'm not a seven i've never been a 17 year old woman that's not um, me either <laughs> uh, but i related so much to having like your summer taking away and like i said this movie to me was because i had to babysit my sister like mm-hmm. and so it's like there is so much from this character that you can take of of like there was a, a generation i think of of latchkey kids and and children and who were forced to grow up a little bit maybe faster than they were supposed to because of uh parental obligations uh you know in divorce and whatever and and i feel like that's why we can all relate to this character is because like th- this was our general like we are like i mean you know like i think from from my age down down to vj's age like we are the latchkey generation of of children who were just like left home alone all afternoon by ourselves sometimes with a sibling and that we had to make dinner for and you know sometimes we had a single parent who work two jobs and you had to make, you know, you had to put them to bed. And, you know, I, I think that weirdly, like the whole, the, and, and we're jumping way ahead of ourselves, but like the whole, the whole, what, what the Kenneth and, and Swellen relationship turns into is just something that I, I find 
um, effortlessly charming because it's just this, it's this weird, uh, it's kind of a marriage, but obviously they're brother and sister, but they're, you know, taking care of these other kids. And I don't know. I, I don't know if the, any of that made sense, um, but it's, it's what I was feeling. Oh, it makes but. total sense. I mean, mm-hmm. so growing up, my mom ran a, a daycare out of the house. So she, there were constantly children, just a rotation of kids. So I was always kind of the de facto caregiver. I'd come home after school and it's like, can you please help them with their homework? I've got to make food for these kids. Like, can you do something? So even though my mom was with me, I was in this like very weird, like co-parent position with my mom right. for many, many years. And so I see that relationship between Sue Ellen and, and Kenny. And it's like, yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> I get like having like that argument that sounds very much like a marriage, like husband and wife <laughs> argument of like, I've done all of this work and you've done nothing. And it's like, well, right. I've been doing this and you don't appreciate me. And it's like, yeah, I've had that with my mom, like for I, sure. <laughs> I a hundred percent, by the way, I used to have to decorate the whole house for Christmas, which is one of the reasons I refuse to now as an adult. Um, is, is like, she'd be like, ah, you put on the ornaments wrong. And I was like, well, I've been doing everything, (laughs) but also I was like an angsty teenager who was like, I don't, I don't give a shit about the fucking bulbs or what goes on first. Like that's that's, like, you worry about that. That's not my, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, are we, are, I, we, are, we, are, we, are we allowed to cuss on this? You yes, can swear you're all swear. you want. It's There's fine. a swear in our intro theme music. Fuck so. yeah, yeah. So it, it's fine. But great. Let's see, I think some of this, the, the some of this disconnect for me is a little bit is that I'm the youngest of two, and my okay. brother also was not like I'm going to take care of you. He's like I'm going to kick the shit out of you and then ignore you. <laughs> so I like this family unit. I can recognize because I had friends who were like this, and we've actually talked about this fairly recently. Um, about how like large families of like eight to 10 or God forbid the Duggars where these older siblings are raising the younger kids and they're basically having their childhood stripped away from them because we want a big family and we don't believe in condoms. And (laughs) as much as this, there was like the latchkey generation of around this era, like the eighties through probably the nineties. Cause like there's a lot of movies about Mm -hmm. missing or, or, or busy dads who are working in the 90s who aren't there to take care of their kids. That, that was a whole thing during that era. But you're seeing it again now with just these, these, these large families that are now kind of the opposite, but still the same. I don't, I don't know. It's like you're cheaper by the dozen families. Yeah. It's just a shitload yeah. of kids. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't know if I, I, I can recognize this family unit. Like I definitely had friends who were like this as BJ was saying, like, oh my God, their house gives me so much anxiety. I'm like, oh yeah, I hung out at a lot of kids' houses that were like this. Mm-hmm. The kid across the street from me growing up, whose house, um, the mediocre film, The Bronze was, was filmed in that no, house. No, yeah. Yeah. No. Look at that. Uh, I used to hang out at his house and there was just <laughs> cigarette ash everywhere and dog pee and cat pee and little brother P and <laughs> it was just an absolute anarchist nightmare over there. And uh, uh, yeah, that house was a lot like this one. Honestly, I think we talked about this yesterday when we all hung out. Uh, my, my sister used to poop on the floor. Um, and I did try to figure out how to, <laughs> how to put that into everything I ever talk about. So yeah. <laughs> I, out of spite, like, though? Um, you know, it's mostly out of like, it's objectively hilarious. It's not funny for her, but literally <laughs> everyone else. It's the funniest thing. Time for little girls to dress like little girls. Sugar and spice.
sorry, I'm going to jump into into the movie now. Go for it. Go for it. Be, Dive because in. because frankly, um, the the animations of the start of this film are why I love this movie so much. Uh, but can we talk about how Mrs. Sturrock dies right after seeing boobs for the first time? <laughs> <laughs> like. We don't ever see her. It's not implicitly said that that this is the reason that she's died, but she walks into Kenny's room and the next time we see her she's dead. So, I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and take the jump that she died from walking into Kenny's room. The shock um, of it all. So, a fun fact about Kenny's room and I made this comment to Harmony when this happened. Yes. The first time I saw Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, I was probably like 7 or so yeah. and the shot in Kenny's room where it's the topless centerfold and her boob, like her nipples are covered with right. the chattering skeleton <laughs> and like whatever else it the is. Spider, I think. The spider. Yeah. Um, did something to my seven-year-old brain that I obviously <laughs> could not process as a seven-year-old. But I remember always feeling like I can't let anyone know that I've seen this, like, because it was <laughs> such like a, a mind-blowing experience that not only was it boobs, which I was like, boobs are great, but they were spooky boobs. And I was like, <gasps> spooky boobs. That's a thing that can be exciting. Oh my gosh. And it Honestly, wasn't until <laughs> spooky boobs are a thing. They are. And it wasn't until like much later in my life that I rewatched the movie as like, I don't know, like a 19 year old that I was like, oh, this tracks. Okay. I understand now. (laughs) I can go back all the way to my history here. Yep. It's like a very fun thing that queer people get to do where we look back and like, you know, point out the things about us that were super gay that we didn't realize it. And that was definitely one of them. Cause I remember watching this movie with my babysitter and having this, like, she can't know that I'm very into this scene right now. (laughs) I don't know what that means, but I have a feeling it's not going to be cool. Right. Or it's like super cool. I have Googled uh, spooky boobs, by the way. And the thing that comes up is a woman who has painted glittery jack-o'-lanterns onto her two big pumpkins. Oh, look at that. Yeah, look at that. It's called I mean, Bonkers I, Halloween-themed glitter boobs are back. Let's just go ahead and screen share because I feel like I'm I'm missing out on that. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love a good set of spooky boobs? That's all I'm saying. That's I mean, very true. We have a life-size cardboard cutout of Elvira, so yes. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, yeah, uh, clearly. Spooky boobs year-round. I do like the idea of Mrs. Direct dying, though, because of Kenny's room. Because something I didn't find out until recently is that I guess originally when they were making this movie, um, Mrs. Sturrock was going to be like a very sweet old lady and that it was supposed to be like kind of a tragedy that she died. And it wasn't until through rewrites, they're like, no, it's funnier if she's awful because then you don't care that it's not addressed for the rest of the movie that this Mm -hmm. woman is dead. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of forgot that there was a babysitter in this movie called don't tell mom the babysitter's dead (laughs) until you get to like the end credits and the tombstone where it's like, nice old lady died <laughs> yeah. natural causes <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like by the way i i i on a whim like flip through her credits on what she's what she's been through like she's been in so many movies including ghostbusters 2 um <laughs> uh and turner and hooch which is you know another one of those like late 80s early 90s classics uh mm-hmm. that resonates with me um i i don't think that i don't I, I wish she would have been nice. I don't know. That's that's me. I feel like she could have been fine. She could have been nice and I still would have been fine with it. But it was there was like a weird there's a there's like a 
a weird feeling I had where she was like trying to be the drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket um, <laughs> that I really that I really appreciated. I think that maybe you would be okay with killing the nice old lady because we've hung out. You have a bit of a of a little bit of a blue sense of humor, a little, a little, <laughs> yeah. little, little cloudy. Yeah. And uh, I think most people would be a little more upset by the nice old lady time. <laughs> Look, I, I'm I and I'm okay with it. I realize that sometimes that my sensibilities are not everyone else's, and that, <laughs> and that we need to make movies that everybody wants to enjoy. Of course. <laughs> I love the fact that she's mean, if only because it sets up this great dynamic between her and Daniel Harris, who also originally this movie was supposed to be Jennifer Love Hewitt as that character. And I cannot, I cannot imagine anyone else other than Daniel Harris, because Daniel Harris at that point in her career mm-hmm. really captures like between it's because this movie's in between like the Halloween and then like the Wish Upon a Star years for her where she's this child star, but she plays like these very kind of off kilter girl characters, which I really like. Like she's very much the uh, the one girl on a sports team character. Big yeah. fan of that. But she's so shitty to this old lady and is so mad and grumpy. And I feel like if Jennifer Love Hewitt was having to wear this like high femme like outfit, I would just be like, yeah, no, that makes sense for you. But on Danielle Harris, she just has this like resting bitch face, even as like a 12 year old. That is oh. so great. Does it only make sense in hindsight, though? No, Jennifer Love Hewitt, like, even in her early years, like, she was very cute and very, like, girl next yeah, I door. Feel, I, I feel like Jennifer Love Hewitt in that, in the bow and the the fancy dress um, with, like, I think, I think she had combat boots and, a, <laughs> and, and, and some bracelets on at the time. The bracelets and the combat boots would be a lot of place and not the bow and the dress. Yeah, gotcha. for sure. Like Daniel Harris sitting on top of like a treehouse platform, not even a house, but just like a platform, which is something that my neighbors had. And that's where we used to hang out. We're like, yeah, we have a treehouse. And in hindsight, I'm like, that's a flat that we put on a tree. Yeah. Um, you, you, you had a set of boards that were, were horizontally <laughs> placed that you could sit on. It's not a treehouse. Yeah, pretty much. But like seeing Daniel Harris with the hat on and the mom being like, get down from here. And her being like, no, I'm like, no, that's Daniel Harris. For sure. <laughs> so yeah, I like that. I like that dynamic a whole lot. And I also like weirdly love that this setup forces all of these kids to, I mean, related to Jennifer Love Hewitt. They kind of have to, I know what you did last summer, this old woman's body, which is so <laughs> morbid. And yet yeah. my like six-year-old brain was like, yeah, of course that's what she would do. You don't want mom to come home from Australia. You've got to carry a dead body in a trunk. There's a whole lot of... Um, there's a whole lot of Jennifer Love Hewitt like like comps in this, which is weird. I didn't actually know she was supposed to be uh supposed to be in this. Yeah, that was a that was a fun discovery doing a little bit of research on the history because this movie they actually they had been trying to make it for a couple of years. It went through a number of rewrites, and it wasn't until they were like, we have. I guess Ed O'Neill is the one who brought the script to Christina Applegate and was like, "You would be perfect for this because she was on TV at the time." But this is yeah. her feature debut, uh-huh. yeah. and he was like, "No, you would you would crush this," and also, she did. Sorry, I'm, I'm I'm popping back to. It's also got like a party of five feel to it. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? what a, sorry, I just, I'm I'm stuck on this Jennifer Love Hewitt thing. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, but but speaking of okay, so we don't have dead parents like Party of Five, but. Speaking of the parents, so mom has some sort of undisclosed job 
and can just afford to leave for two months. Well, the boyfriend is paying for it. What boyfriend? We don't see a boyfriend. No, we don't see him. But that's the that's the thing is like, uh, he's taking her to see the farm in Australia. He, or he's something. taking her to see the farm in Australia, but she has to take the super shuttle to fucking LAX. <laughs> like, God, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you're taking her to Australia, either you A, pick her up or you fucking send a car. You don't make her take the <laughs> super shuttle. Yeah, but uh, even that aside, they mention a couple times, like, I wish dad was here. Mom's like, no, you don't. And then we never address dad ever again. Yeah. I feel like that's a real early 90s thing because I felt uh, that never, I never even clocked that as a weird thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think she, she does it twice. And then they, but the kids also do it too, because at one point, like, so Ellen's like, I guess we could ask dad for money. And Kenny's like, dad doesn't care. Mm -hmm. So, like, the, the older kids are fully aware that, like, fuck dad he sucks yeah and i think the younger kids are the ones that are still kind of adjusting with like i wish dad was here like and i i like that because i can only speak from uh, the experience with my family there is a very distinct line between the older siblings with my mom of like them their relationship with their father versus like the younger kids relationship with their father. Cause my grandpa like left my grandma and then like the older kids had to take care of the younger kids and the younger mm-hmm. kids have a little bit different of a relationship than the older kids do with their dad. And this is a movie that as, as subtle as it is, where if like, you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. It is very nice to show that like, even within the same family dynamic, there are different feelings about their dad and it's clearly based on age and time and how long they had to spend with him or how old they were when they could understand like the ramifications of dad leaving uh that's really cool to me yeah it's yeah, the idea think- of if you've met your father and know what like a piece of shit he is versus like the idea of oh well i mean dads are cool all my friends have dads i'm just going to assume that my dad wasn't terrible yeah, I, I mean, this is another thing that I think like like this movie specifically spoke to me because again, my dad was the reason that my parents aren't together anymore, um, and I am aware of that. I'm like very aware of that. But my sister was not even one when they when they got divorced, and so mm-hmm. she's you know, I mean, she's aware now, but like growing up, she wasn't quite aware, and she had a different kind of uh, relationship with my father because. She didn't have that like, oh, yeah, hey, if you hadn't fucked up, we'd all still be together uh, in the back of her brain that I had where I was like, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, where I was like, yeah, well, if you weren't such a piece of shit, we'd all still be a, we'd all still be a family unit. Um, and, and I do think that that is an in, in like, again, it's an interesting kind of, uh, you know, Harmony, you were asking, like, why this resonated. I think that, like, this this hit in like a, 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 uh, an exact time where we were all able to talk about, uh, different family structures and, and what it meant, uh, that I don't think we've, we've really gone back to ever, or, you know, maybe ever will, or definitely weren't before. Yeah. I think as we were leaving the eighties, there was definitely, okay. So this movie's from 1991, but it's still that part of the nineties that is like a hangover of the eighties still agreed. Yeah, it wasn't until like 92 that the 90s are like, ah, yes, now it's the 90s. You can even tell by looking at the fashion show specifically in this movie and tell that it's excruciatingly 80s. But I think by the time the 80s had been coming to a close, we were really scrapping that idea of like the 2.4 perfect kids of America uh, and like the model American family. And it was taking on a lot of different forms because of 
divorce rates and, and any other factors that were now springing up that weren't really commonplace in like the mid-century. Oh yeah, because this is the the direct response to the Reagan era return to conservatism, mm-hmm. which it feels very 1950s and having this nuclear family and, you know, a ton of people were like, well, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. So they got together, started their little families and then the nineties hit and it's like, wait, we hate each other. And then all of a sudden that's where we get these booms of families splintering off. And for this movie to address that as early as it does, Mm -hmm. I think is really incredible. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, a big part of why I like it. And we talk a lot on the show about liking movies where kids sort of have their own uh, hierarchies and have their own communities. Uh Um, And this is one where we're seeing that, but they're all within like a sibling unit, which I think is really, really cool. Like this isn't just neighborhood kids all hanging out together and doing things. This is like siblings hanging out and working together because one, they all have the secret that their babysitter's dead and they can't tell anybody about it. And two, they have to find a way to like, function together without an adult's present and it not turn into Lord of the Flies. Look, we are a family of felons. Our summer freedom is going to be a winter prison if I don't get some help. Now, I want this place spick and span by Saturday night or I'm turning us all in. Are you with me? Hmm? Guys, what do you say? Yeah? Yeah? Come on, what do you say? All right, yeah! All right, we're with you! Rock and roll! Also, I mean, if it, even if it had turned into Lord of the Flies, like I'm, I'm here for that movie too. <laughs> it sort of already was. They, they, it's really open season in this household for most of the movie, and it's not I, until Christina Applegate basically becomes new mom and understand walks a mile in mom's shoes that it's like, oh yeah, we need to get our shit together. I, yeah, I feel like there's never been a movie that went from uh, went from Lord of the Flies away from it uh, more than this film. Agreed completely. Mm-hmm. Um, So something that I also wanted to talk about, because, you know, the main core of this movie is also Christina Applegate lying and getting a job uh, at, you know, General Peril West as like an executive assistant, which is like, it is so wild to me how much easier it was to like, one, lie about who you were before the like the Internet and also just like getting a job in general. It's like there was no drug test. There was no background check. You just walked your ass in there and no one questioned anything except for Carolyn, who I have a soft spot for bitchy, shitty characters that are right the whole time. Yeah, Um, Carolyn is totally right, but for wrong reasons the whole movie. (laughs) Which I love. Like, she's awful and evil, and so is David Duchovny with his, like, terrible grease slick back I fucking love that David Duchovny (laughs) is in this film, by the way. It was one of the things I wanted to bring up. Like, the fact that David Duchovny is in this film makes me so fucking happy. I don't see him in a lot of movies because obviously he's best known for TV, but I feel like every time David Duchovny shows up in a movie, I'm like, Fuck you. Because <laughs> he's always a bastard in every movie I see him in. But he's so good at it. He is. I hate him so much in The Craft Legacy. <laughs> oh, yeah. He deserves like a swift kick in the shins in that movie. In- instead, his character in The Craft Legacy is more of a Gus type in this movie. I, oh, I feel like I feel like I feel like when you're talking about the interviewing process for Swell, you can also go back to the interviewing process for the babysitter. Like there was like a whole section where I God, I'm blanking on the mom's name uh, at the moment. Uh, where she like, inter- are you sure you can like take care of all of these kids? There's five of them. Like I feel like there should have been a, a more thorough investigation of of the qualifications of the woman that you're leaving in charge of your children for two months. That I mean, that's just me. 
you know. I mean, I, Sally Field uh, willingly just allowed her her ex husband in drag to take care of her kids and Mrs. Doubtfire. So I think the '90s was just a time where we weren't vetting people quite as well as we should have. Uh, I would argue that Sally Fields did a very thorough investigation of all of the applicants. Um, who all happened to be versions of Robin Williams. Um, <laughs> but she did a very thorough investigation before she landed on Mrs. Doubtfire, who was a wonderful choice, frankly. That's true. I agree. I, absolutely. But I think, uh, especially in this era where we don't do background checks, period, I think babysitter might be one of the easiest jobs to lie about because you just show up and you seem nice and go, yeah, like, who are you going to call? My past employers? I'm basically self-employed. Yeah, that's true. So you can just be like, I'm a good babysitter and people are going to either believe you or not. Yeah, I mean, because that's the other thing, too, is because I I did plenty, plenty of babysitting in my years. If I were to say, like, yeah, I was a good babysitter, if they were to call the parents, like, they weren't there. (laughs) I was watching kids. What are they going to say? Yeah, I remember when I was seven. She was great. (laughs) Yeah, you didn't burn my house down. That's good enough. Because they're never there to watch you babysit. (laughs) Honestly, this, this this starts a whole new thing. I want to go through all the people BJ babysat for and interview them <laughs> on, on whether or not they're uh, normal. A couple and of I, them are my we, friends on Instagram now because they don't okay. use Facebook because, you know, that's for old people. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I like this. I like this angle of her working at this this corporation. And I like it for two reasons. One, I like that it completely dispels a lot of the qualification myths that we have for employment. We're like, you need to have this, this, and this because she doesn't have any of that. And yet she still is kind of good at her job. <laughs> like the like the technical side of it, like the QED report, she doesn't know how to do that. So then she delegates that to Kimmy Robertson, who I love her forever. Bless she has her and everything. the greatest voice ever. She's um, amazing. Her voice acting is is some of the best ever for real she's she's incredible we we spent a good like 10 minutes on our last american version episode just talking about how great she is because we love her so is this just what the teen movie hell episodes are <laughs> yeah we just talk about kimmy robertson for the whole time um, it, it, it's gonna it's gonna all kind of come to a head when kimmy roberts comes on the show oh my god oh, i god. would cry <laughs> so cool um, but I like that, you know, it dispels the, that myth because, you know, Sewellen ultimately does save General Apparel West and it's because she's young and she has fresh ideas. And I love that. But then at the same time, I also love that it plays with this idea that so many of us, I think, have when we're at that age of like 17 to 20, where we recognize that we're young and we're being seen as children still, but we're not children anymore mm-hmm. and wanting to like be an adult and be taken seriously. But there is something that kind of sucks about that. Like when you have, when you hit that threshold of like, oh yeah, I'm an adult now. Like that does suck. Like getting that first paycheck of like a big kid job and seeing just how much goes to your taxes. Oh my God, that shit sucks so bad. Mm -hmm. And I can't even imagine if some of that went to like pension and health and a, and a retirement fund, like, Mm -hmm. She's not I mean, going to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my first my first jobs were all like being a busboy somewhere. So it was like we didn't have all of that. It was just the regular things that get taken from your paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, Swell had a real job that had like a like a four hundred one k that got taken out as well. <laughs> uh, she saw very little of her paycheck. Yeah. yeah. So she ended but, up getting this job because of like the sorority connections of something something, right? 
Yeah, a she was she was a Vassar girl. Yeah. yeah. So as as an aside, BJ, you and I have talked about this on our thirteen going on thirty episode, and how like you saw that and were like, "That's what I want to do when I grow up." How much of that relates to this because they have a very similar like fashion setting? Oh my god, yeah. Like I was definitely that kid growing up that depending on what movie I was really into, like that kind of motivated what I thought I should do with my life. Because another <laughs> thing is you know, the things that I wanted to do, like, you know, write movies, direct movies, that was something I never saw as a possibility as a kid, because they don't make movies about girls who want to be filmmakers. They just fucking don't, or at least they didn't when I was a kid. There's Mm -hmm. like a couple now. Um, So I would watch movies like 13 going on 30 or don't tell mom the babysitter's dad. And I was like, I should go to school and be a fashion designer because I love all of Swellen's outfits too. Like the fashion in this movie is like untouchable in my opinion even the stuff that is like a nurse is never going to wear a bodycon dress and uh, lace I'm, sorry, up- I'm sorry uh the hot <laughs> nurse that ends up dating kenneth at the end nicole, <laughs> nicole? yes <laughs> <laughs> like that is like all of the things that sue ellen comes up with for that fashion show are pretty practical with the exception of the nurse's outfit. Like that's not going to be a thing. I think you can sell that, but just not to hospitals. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a single hospital that's buying that. Um, Spencer's probably buying that, Mm -hmm. Uh, um, you know, all hustler probably buying that outfit. It's very leg Avenue, you know, very leg Leg Avenue, leg (laughs) Avenue, probably buying it. Not, not definitely not a, but i just remember growing up and watching like the outfit that she wears to show up for the interview where it's like the black and white suit with the patterned like turtleneck underneath and she's got a stylish unibrow as well like no one ever wants to talk about that but she is so interesting to look at and so fucking cool in a very effortless way Mm -hmm. that i was like yeah i want to be just like this when i grow up like that's what i want to wear and i thought about that when i did pageants and you have to wear like a suit for your interview i always tried to do that where i would like mix like a random loud pattern somewhere and it was because sue ellen crandall is the most beautiful woman (laughs) as a teenager growing up that i was like i want to be like that you need your statement piece exactly Yeah, I feel I feel like we should all still strive to be either her again or Kenneth uh, with a black leather jacket and a black shirt and ripped jeans. Oh, absolutely. I love this era of like radical slackers that you got yeah. during the late 80s and early yeah. 90s where it's like, oh, Wayne's World, Bill and Ted, the villains from Three Ninjas and also Kenny and his friends. Yeah. Also just every Polly Shore movie. Like I love yes. the side characters in Encino Man. But yeah, the radical slacker is so great because they're all doofuses, but I love them. Yeah, they're doofuses in a really charming way. They're, they're like big dumb dogs that are floppy and don't realize <laughs> big, quite how much they weigh. <laughs> big floppy-eared dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm glad that you brought up like kind of the boys in this because this movie is very much Sue Ellen's movie. But I have a theory that I don't trust anyone who grew up in the 90s and didn't at one point have a a crush on Josh Charles between this movie or like Dead Poets Society. Dead Poets Society. Can we talk about the fact that that, like they were almost back to back and they're like two of my most influential (laughs) films ever. 
He's so charming in this movie and so well-intended. The only problem that I have with with young Brian in this movie is that like when he's sitting in the office with Carolyn and Carolyn like says something snarky to Sue Ellen and it never once crosses his mind of like Sue Ellen, that's not a very common name. The girl who's currently putting my heart in turmoil is also named Sue Ellen. Like how many people in Los Angeles at that time were like named Sue Ellen or goes by swell? Like I, I, I can't imagine there were a lot. It's a big city. Anything's I mean, there's possible. a lot of there's fair. a lot of there's a lot of people in this. That's in, very fair. But if it this. was been like they both were named like Mary or something, that would make sense to me because Sue Ellen is such like a unique name. It's like if anybody was like, oh, yeah, I was hanging out with my friend Brittany Jade the other day. I'm like, that's a lie. I'm the only one, you know, <laughs> like that's not real. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, he's he's so charming. He's such a like he's we talk a lot about like good boy characters. He's such a good boy. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he doesn't. He's not a piece of shit for sure. No, he, and, and, it, and and as far as like in this in this like I think a really specific thing in like this era of cinema to have a, a male lead that's not a piece of shit or doesn't at least do piece of shit things mm-hmm. is is almost an anomaly. Uh, I started like trying to think about other things. I'm like, oh man, you could. There's a whole bunch of them that you could just be like, well, that was kind of a dick thing to do. Uh, he never does that. I mean, he even brought his sister, who's a piece of trash. It depends on your. Uh, he brought her. He brought her clown dogs. You know. Yeah, he's he's a good boy. He's got like a good heart. He's just trying to like figure out why this girl is you know giving him the runaround. And to be honest, Sue Ellen's not being honest with him for reasons we obviously know. And with the exception of like him showing up and crashing her party, which obviously he didn't know she's having a party, mm-hmm. um, which is just like, I'm going to stop you right here. He saw the cars in the parking lot. He knew <laughs> there was a party happening. He knew he was crashing something. He didn't acknowledge you're having a party until he got out of the car. I don't well, know. I'm like, sorry, but I'm sorry. You, you go up to somebody's house and there's like fucking 50 cars in their in their front yard because <laughs> they're having a party. You See, you, but the whole time he's on this like headset thing where he's like, we can work it out. We can talk about it. Nowhere once is he's like, why are there so many cars here? Because he's, he's just a good boy. He's a little, he's a little not picking up on things until he gets out of the car. What's the one line he has when they're fighting that is like, I respect your privacy. You just don't tell me things or something I, really ridiculous. I respect your privacy if you weren't so secretive. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Which, which like is so easy to be like, mm, that's like a toxic controlling <laughs> behavior. He's 17. Like he's a goober. I just love how it's worded specifically. It's, there's so much good writing like that in this movie where it's just like random things that are being said like, we touched on Gus a little bit, like human trash heap Gus. Like, oh, oh, he's that a piece guy. of shit. He's Everything he says is it's just a joke, though. Oh my but, god, but, covering my but, ass. By the way, I, I want you all to know that um, while we're while we're talking about this, I have this playing in the background at like one point four speed, just so I can always like. <laughs> and Gus just showed up for the first time, literally just as we started talking about <laughs> what a piece of shit Gus is. Uh. There he was popping up in her office being an absolute asshole where whereas a 17 year old she tells him to go fuck off and she'll call him to come fetch the report when she's ready for him which was just a fucking baller move mm-hmm. oh god like 
the conversation at the lunch like the lunch that she has with Gus when he's like when she's like are you talking about having sex and he's just like moving too fast for me I'm like go fuck yourself I know so many people who do that shit you suck Mm -hmm. oh just the worst um so I think that also Josh Charles as Brian looks so much better because the only other real male characters in this so we have Kenny who yes does have an arc but starts out being kind of a wasteoid Mm -hmm. and then you have you have Gus who's just like gross and creepy you have David Duchovny who's just a fucking weasel like Mm -hmm. so all of the men in this movie are like awful (laughs) like and then of you know her little brother her little brother's like you know Walter is just very typical little brother kid and then Zach is like love struck 14 year old boy doing love struck 14 year old boy things and a huge thief yeah, well, all of them are thieves. They like, all steal from each the other. The other line of like, would you steal from mom? Yeah, she just doesn't yes. have very much. <laughs> I mean, he li- we literally saw him try to steal from mom earlier yes. in the movie. Yeah. Like, and mom, mom's used to it because she caught him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I think that also just makes you know brian look like such a better boyfriend but he he really does care about her and like the missteps that he has are clearly ones from being fucking 17 and not fully understanding like relationships quite yet Mm -hmm. like their little their little toy story date is cute yeah Yeah. it's cute just going 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 on the hippie hop or whatever it's called the hippie hop Going to everybody's going on the hippie hop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I just, I love this movie. It always makes me feel good. I feel like it, it feels inspiring that like this 17 year old could like make it work and, you know, do what she could. So like, that means that I could do it too. There's that there's, you know, but then there's also the acceptance of like, you know, it's not always a bad thing to grow up and get your shit together. Like when Kenny has that revelation of like, I think I should graduate high school yeah we go to culinary school it's like yeah dude you should also he never had to graduate high school to go to culinary school he could have just gone to culinary school but like he had the foresight to be like oh i should probably you know unlike certain congressmen right now he's like i should have a fucking (laughs) high school diploma um before i before i you know move on to the next part you're up yeah i've been at it all night check these babies out beautiful belgian waffles Julia made them on her show yesterday. Did you turn the air conditioner on? Yeah, well, uh, I was hot. Look, I'm stuck with the bills. I would like to keep that thermostat at 76, okay? Why do you take these things so personally? Can we talk about how Brian brought the clown dog car onto the beach? Um, because as, <laughs> as somebody as somebody who moved to Los Angeles, I, f- I feel like that's extremely unsafe. Um, and I also don't I, think that thing has good all-terrain tires. Look, it's not designed to be that close to the water and that close to the water when the water is changing. I feel like that that was extremely, if we want to talk about Brian's missteps, um, that's probably the biggest one. It was, it was <laughs> extremely irresponsible of him. And uh, in real life, that, that, uh, that hot dog van i don't know what you want to call that it's like an ice cream truck that has been (laughs) yeah that wiener truck it's it's It's, an early version of a food truck that wiener truck is for sure in the middle of the ocean (laughs) (laughs) also but speaking of clown dog i love this weird era that we had of like ridiculous novelty themed fast food places oh yeah you have the pirate place and like fast times of richmond high um, a movie that we really love called Raging Hormones also has a different pirate-themed fast food place. And they also have a clown grocery store. Yes. Ooh. So it's just like, 
And now it's like, no, you have to wear like these goofy clown things at at my at your job. And I we don't do that. And I'm very happy we don't do it anymore because it's like really degrading and embarrassing. But also, I kind of love the sheer cheese, just the absolute novelty of it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. But also, I'd like to bring it back um, and mention that Kenny just headbutted uh, one of his buddies while holding a shotgun. Uh, <laughs> very excited. By the way, uh, you know, BJ, you and I have talked about this. I'm uh, we are. I think we are both incapable of not quoting this movie at least once a day. Yeah. I, I cannot finish doing the dishes at night without saying the dishes are done. Dishes whether, are done, man. Whether anyone hears me or not, I'm usually talking to myself at this point. <laughs> um, and I still say it every time. Uh, it, I, it's I'm so like, funny. <laughs> I'm incapable of, of actually finishing the dishes without finish, without saying that sentence. Like it's so Pavlovian <laughs> at this point. There's a, a t-shirt coming. I think it was Midnight Society who did it, but they just sold a Dishes Are Done Man shirt in the Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead uh, opening title credit font, uh, which is just beautiful. I mean, because... well, now I'm going to have to go buy that. because. Well, sorry yeah. to add another t-shirt to your collection. Thank, thank you. <laughs> exactly what I needed with more graphic t-shirts of fucking weird 90s films. <laughs> thank I... you for that. I don't remember who the artist was, but I used to have a screen printed shirt of Katrina's face in the chef hat during the fashion show, like looking panicked. <laughs> and it just says, thank you, Katrina, in all caps on it. <laughs> thank you, Katrina. Because <laughs> <laughs> she is so like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, well, I got to finish this. And she's uh, just, I'm, this okay. Is my, this is my moment to shine, please. Like, um, <laughs> everyone else is white in this movie. Why are you fucking shoving me off the stage? Right. <laughs> God, yeah, this movie's white as hell. Also, it's I think very it's, white. I think it's really funny too because at one point they talk about like how they live in the boonies. They're like, "Yeah, we live in the boonies. You live in Santa Clarita." I've looked up where this is taking place. <laughs> I you are mean, not in the boonies. I mean, honestly, like that's the I, I consider it the boonies, and that's maybe but in like talk to me when you've lived in Los Angeles for ten years. That's the boonies. It's far away. That doesn't make it the boonies. <laughs> no one's ever going there. It's the boonies. <laughs> I grew up in cornfields. I have a very different barometer for boonies than you well, well yes yes but also Literally. thinking about her uh her commute like gives me a heart attack oh <laughs> like, yeah no her her commute actually gave me anxiety like in a very real way of like yeah i would also wake up at 5 30 to not have to deal with that fucking traffic <laughs> oh god see I, I i don't know i love sue ellen for making that choice too I've started playing a game when I get stuck in gridlock in LA when I'm running around doing stuff. And it's like, let's play a game of would you rather with myself for things I would rather be doing than being stuck in LA traffic because it's the worst experience of my life. Uh, let's see here. Um, a bukkake of bleach that gets all into my open eyes and mouth. Yeah, rather do that than be stuck in LA traffic. <laughs> Just really I mean, fuck me up. <laughs> I mean, it depends on it depends on what time and what day we're talking about. But yeah, I'm into that. Like... Yeah, it, it it it's it's uh, uh of the last year that it's the thing that I've that I've loved most about Los Angeles is that we haven't had that. So, Don't yeah. worry, nature's healing. It's, I know nature. America's bad. back, baby. <laughs> Everything's I, congested again. I you know what? But also, I just I just watch them bounce around in a toy store on 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 uh, the the pretend Mickey Mouse uh, balls. Yeah. <laughs> so it's okay. Everything's fine. Um. So. I guess one last thing that I want to talk about before we start wrapping things up is 
I think a big reason that I love this movie so much is that it is a movie that cannot exist at any other time. There are just so many circumstances in the world of this movie that have changed so dramatically yeah. since it was made that it, like this just cannot exist outside of 1991. And you mean I someone would call child protective services as a mother just abandoned her children for two months. Yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> um, she wouldn't have gotten the job because they would have done a background check and figured out very quickly that she was 17. Um, like there's just a lot of things that would not have been able to happen. And something that I hear all the time when people are making movies is like, don't do that. It'll date your films. Don't do that. It'll date your films. And we talk a lot about how teen movies as a genre are the most accurate time capsules that we have to culture cinematically because they're the only genre that really doesn't give a shit about Mm -hmm. dating their movie. They're Mm -hmm. like, no, we're going to be what is cool for teens right now. And if that means in five years from now, this movie sucks, that's fine. We're going to make our money now. And I love that about this movie because it feels so unapologetically 1991 and it just makes me feel very good. It, like it's, it's comfort food. It's mashed potatoes. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, you, I think you're the nail on the head. Like teen, teen films will date themselves in a way that every other film. And I, I talk about, uh, you know, everything that I try to produce, it's like making it as timeless as possible so that it can exist both now and in in 5 years from now but you are absolutely right like films that are that are marketed for teens they do not give a fuck about about that and specifically will will buck that trend specifically to to try to make sure that they can be like as current as possible uh and yeah i think i feel like you could watch this movie and not tell somebody when it's from and they would be able would have almost no you know, obviously you'd have to know none of the actors as well. But if, if you didn't know any of the actors, you could put this movie on, pull this as exactly a late 80s, early 90s film mm-hmm. without any without any like trepidation. Yeah. I, one of the biggest examples I like to think of, like of immediately dating a film in a really harsh way is when we saw the Sonic the Hedgehog movie like two years ago uh-huh. and people groaned about how Sonic flosses and they're like, oh, it's going to be so dated then, like even in six months. And yet we were in this theater surrounded by children because we were the only adults there without children. <laughs> and these kids freaked the fuck out and loved it. Oh, my God. And they were out of control. Oh, yeah. That's the energy a teen film or in the case of Sonic, which is like clearly targeted a bit younger than teens. But like that's the energy it's trying to capture. It's like they want you to be hyped in that moment, not think, I wonder if I'll look back fondly on this when I'm 24. <laughs> also, it's going to be fine because in five years, those kids that saw it at 12 are going to be 17 and revisiting that film and it will still resonate with them. It'll, it'll hold it'll hold the same kind of nostalgia that mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the films of the late 80s, early 90s hold for me. And, you know, later, obviously, for, for you all, because you're babies. Um, <laughs> just a skosh. <laughs> I mean, I got to say, I my one of my favorite things about fear street 1994 is that i was like oh we're finally moving the nostalgia needle a little bit further like we've left the 80s and we're finally into the 90s oh my god we're we're so close to me finally getting a movie with seen kids oh we're getting there (laughs) look i did the the day that there's a movie about myspace uh i think is is the day that you'll really kind of that'll be peak bj I'll be so happy. Like I will be insufferable <laughs> and excited about it. <laughs> I've been harassing her for the better part of my entire time knowing her saying like, Hey, when are you just going to like 
just take it upon yourself to make a documentary about MySpace scene bits. <laughs> oh man, it was it was such a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the scene look is coming back. I've been teaching kids on TikTok how to correctly tease their hair without destroying it. It's coming back in a big way. And there are definitely kids now making videos that are like, if you got to grow up in 2004, you don't know how lucky you are. I was born in the wrong generation. And I'm like, I'm a thousand years old and I'm officially turned to dust. Great. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, when I got my hair done, which it's rainbow now for anyone who hasn't it. Seen looks it. beautiful, by Thank the it's, way. It's, it's, it's my much. rainbow sherbet hair. I love I'm, it. I'm fucking into it. Uh, you should keep it like that forever. It made me so happy. Thank you. Yeah. When I was talking to my stylist, when I was getting it done, which if you're in the uh, greater LA area, go to mermaid cult. They do fantastic work there. Boom. Ridiculous color. Plug. Yeah. When I was talking to my stylist, they were saying like, yeah, um, everybody now is just getting like these giant scene kid things. I just did like the actual like raccoon tails in people. They weren't clip on extensions. Like I was doing them and I'm like, Oh no, (laughs) I didn't even know anyone that was in my high school at the time who had real ones. (laughs) Yeah. No, we all bought the clip ins from hot topic because our parents were like, you are not putting horizontal stripes in your hair. So I just, I just don't, I mean, look, Hey, um, you know, whatever, whatever everyone's going to do. I was in the military at the time of like the, the early 2000s, late nineties, early 2000s. So, uh, my look was very, was very structured at the time, (laughs) uh, uh, probably for, 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 uh, oh man, Walter just fell. Guys. Oh no. Walter just shatter his bones. Walter just broke his femur. Um, it's fine. It's a clean break. She has great health insurance. It seems like. By the way, her health insurance fucking hits super quick. And let's talk about that. I feel like <laughs> I, I feel like that health insurance is not covering that break at all. No, but also like we hadn't gotten as into the depths and throes of you know the insurance industry of how terrible our healthcare system is yeah, yeah no, I... we weren't quite as bad yet but i do love when there's that that ending moment where she reunites with mom and you know sue ellen has definitely taken on that maternal role and she's like we'll talk about it in the morning like adults go to bed you're go cranky. to your room she and then she's like <laughs> go to your room but she looks at walter and she's like what happened to walter and she's like it's fine i have excellent medical care <laughs> and like her medical coverage and her mom's face is like the fuck did you say to me yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful um so dave do you have any other capsule thoughts about don't Man, I, 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 uh, by the way, I appreciate you, you two allowing me to come on and, and talk about this movie who, which, like I said, uh, oh, it wasn't a femur break. It was, it must've been a fibia, tibia break. I know. I just looked at the, i looked at where the cast is. It didn't go all the way up the thigh. Um, uh, he was holding his thigh. That's a, that's a, that's a goof in the film. Um, <laughs> continuity errors. <laughs> uh, I, I just this 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 movie and this film I feel like is like one of those movies that I can't wait to show my daughter to be like you can do whatever you want but like in a realistic way and and I just thank you for letting me come on and and, and wax poetic about uh, about a movie that that I hold so near and dear to my heart and obviously BJ you do too and and Harmony now that you've seen the film you do as well yeah this is uh, this is where we get to the the all important question and I'm bracing myself. Right now, <laughs> Harmony, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? And you can be honest, it will not hurt my feelings, I promise. 
Okay, so here's where... But it it definitely will hurt her feelings. There's definitely been movies where BJ's like, this is one of my favorite movies. I'm showing you Fright Night. If you don't like it, I will have to actually consider breaking up with you. Like, that's (laughs) been a conversation at several points (laughs) in our relationship. So with that said, I'm going to tentatively give this a yes. Okay, tentatively. I'm, I'm leaning towards a maybe, but maybe it's a grower. Maybe it's not a shower. I, I've, I've gotten a lot of insight <laughs> from you and Dave, and now we'll see how it sits on subsequent watches. Maybe, maybe I'll have newfound extra appreciation for it now that I can take it in a little bit more and also not be like putting on a performance of like, that's right, I'm pretending like I've seen this before. You have no idea that I don't know what's going on. <laughs> So okay, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna throw something. I'm gonna throw something into your, in, into just like, hey, something to think about. Mm-hmm. Just think of how expertly dressed this film would be for prom. Like those pictures are dope. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. That like, there's no way that this film doesn't come, uh, doesn't come correct, uh, in fashion, when when going to the prom with you. So oh, well, of course, just something to think about. Yeah, Christina Applegate's the coolest and I, she has yeah. great fashion sense. Yeah. And I like to think that this is also a prom where we just have a large number of 80s and 90s Tommy James covers. Because yeah. for some reason he had a really good decade where we, <laughs> we got the Billy Idol Moni Moni. We have more than one version of I Think We're Alone Now, the dragon the line in this movie. See? <laughs> just so nothing with Tommy James. Yeah. So you're fine. I mean, <laughs> look, look, if you go to prom with uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, you're going to have a good time. You're going to have a good time. Like, it's going to be a fun prom, regardless. And I, I just have to say, not to, to influence closer to that yes than the maybe, lest we forget that when I proposed to Harmony listeners, we mm-hmm. drove to Chicago half because we wanted to see a wrestling show. Like, that was the That was most, that of, was the most of the reason. But Ellen also, Owens came back to NXT. It was awesome. But also because <laughs> I didn't want to propose in Cleveland because there's the, the risk was way too high of people being like, ew, gays. So we went to Chicago instead. <laughs> and I proposed to Harmony in front of Buckingham Fountain, which, as many know, is the opening shot of Married with Children because I promised Harmony that we could be each other's Peggy and Kelly Bundys forever to be like cool punk teens and then grow up into being like big haired leopard print wearing old ladies. And it's going to be great. Katie Seagal is not old in that, but like, no, no, no. But I, I, by, by the way, I'm totally, uh, um, I, I feel my, I, I consider myself lucky to, uh, get to watch the journey, uh, of that, of that kind of transformation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. It's happening. Like one day I'm just going to say, fuck it. And it's going to be just spandex all the time I'm and if fucking, people have an yes. issue with it that no. is their issue not mine fuck them <laughs> fuck them <laughs> well dave thank you so so much for coming on and chatting with us about this movie i love so very much um do you have anything you want to plug or anywhere that you want people to find you on the internet if you want them to find you you could always I mean, just be like leave me alone that's also fair <laughs> I mean i i i think all on all the socials i'm david lawson jr uh uh BJ and I are are both involved in a project um, called Mental Health and Horror, which is a, an exploration of of how mental health or how horror films is actually um, cathartic for people that are going through mental health issues. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Um, other than that, I don't know, just a ton of stuff coming out for Rustic over the next couple of years. Uh, so go check out our website. I think it's rustic.film. 
I'm pretty positive about that. I think we renewed our our license on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, other other than that, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you so much again for having me for having me on. I I I you know I love you too, and I love this film, and that was uh, the highlight of my day. <laughs> well, fantastic. Um, friends, if you want to support the show, you know that we have uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where are you at? I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. Are you? Wait, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm <laughs> also, you? I'm a professional. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Veloci underscore trap <laughs> underscore tour. And as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use their song title as our theme song. Harmony, do you have a cool indie band for people to check out today? Yeah, but I don't know who because I didn't bother to look it up before we sat down to record. <laughs> What if, what if, what if, can I throw one out at you all? Yeah, you know what? Yeah. yeah, Dave, you know what? You're our guest. Do you have any cool like independent music that you want to plug for us? I'm I'm going to throw one from from Jonathan BJ uh Foreign Fields. Go check him out on on Bandcamp. Ooh. Awesome. That sounds great. I'll check him out. Yeah. That's, that's that was fantastic. what I was listening to. That's why it was late cuz I, <laughs> I was listening to a new band. <laughs> Well, friends, thank you all for listening and tuning in. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. 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 This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.